But if you betray God and you no longer want to be loyal to God, you are damaging yourself. And you are wrong. And you will be judged. Today's passage is about the betrayal of Jesus. Read with me in Mark chapter 14, verse 43 to 52. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they, they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. As we have seen now the past several weeks, there's there's no way to really talk about these passages and not it feel heavy on us. Instead of me really giving you three points like I normally do, I want to just walk through the passage. I think I've got three points, but I really just want to walk through the passage and be explaining it. Verse 43 says, and immediately. That means they're in the garden praying. Remember, that's what I preached on last week. Jesus is praying all night. He is extremely sorrowful. He is sweating blood. He has cried out, not my will be done, but your will, Father. Let this cup pass from me if there is any other way. My Spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Our Lord and Savior is extremely burdened there with great sorrow because of the sins of the world and because of what it takes for there to be forgiveness. Y'all, forgiveness is not cheap. Forgiveness is huge. Forgiveness requires some sort of for, um, uh, punishment. And for us to be forgiven of our sins, Jesus was punished and crucified in our place on our behalf because of our sins, and Jesus knew that. He would take the wrath of God on the cross for us, and he is going to it. As he is there, if you'll look at verse 41 and 42, he says, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still talking, Judas walks up. Mark, the author of this uh, gospel, gives us a little reminder that he was one of the twelve. In this passage, Judas is the bad guy. Judas is so incredibly wrong. Judas' identity in, 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 in the world is he's the one who betrayed Jesus with a kiss. 
I looked up on dictionary.com what it means to betray. And you know what one of the definitions was on dictionary.com to betray? One of the definitions was to play Judas. That is his identity. That is his reputation that he betrayed Jesus. Mark reminds us, though, that he's one of the 12. He's one of Jesus' guys. He was hand-selected out of all the people in the world. When Jesus went around at the beginning of his ministry, remember he chose Peter and Andrew while they were fishing? You remember that? He chose Philip and Nathaniel while they were under the tree. You remember that? He chose all those guys. He also chose Judas. And for the last three years, they've done everything together. They've laughed, they've hung out, they've been tired, they have eaten, they've done miracles, they've healed people, they've preached, they have done it all together. Man, they were tight. Truly, they were close, very, very close. And now, at a secret place that Jesus often went to to withdraw, to pray, as he often did, Remember I read that in John earlier that Judas knew that spot because he had often been there with Jesus. Remember that? I just read that. This passage is so big and real and so meaningful that all four gospels have it. You have it in Matthew 26. You have it here in Mark 14. You have it in Luke 22. And you have it in John 18. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four gospel writers tell us this story. It is that ugly. It's that bad. Judas one of Jesus' 12 disciples, comes to him. And coming with him, just follow with me. I'm just gonna walk through the passage in verse 43. And coming with him, he brings a crowd with swords and clubs. They were some chief priests and they were scribes and, and they were elders. This is totally out of place. This is totally out of line. We know that Judas is in the wrong. His heart's not in the right place. He's coming to do something evil and wicked. He is coming, as the Bible's already told us, Satan had entered him. He is coming to lead the people to do the worst sin in the history of the world. They are coming to kill God. They are coming to kill God's son, Jesus. And Judas is the piece that helps link it all together. He is coming, but he so misunderstands Jesus. We know he misunderstands Jesus because instead of loving and worshiping him and bowing down to him as all of us and all of creation should be doing, he's coming to arrest him. So yes, he misunderstands him, but you really see that he just does not get Jesus rightly because he brings a crowd, he brings swords, he brings clubs. In John's account that I read, it says they had torches and lanterns and weapons, right? There are swords there in this passage. There are clubs that everybody's carrying. It literally looks like an army is coming to go to war. That is what it looks like. When ever has Jesus been about anything like that? Never. What was Judas thinking? Do you think Jesus was all of a sudden going to flex his supernatural powers and fight back one on 300? Jesus doesn't do that. Does he think that Jesus is going to rally a big army behind him or, or give strength to the 12 and, and take 300 on 12? Judas is way out of line. He doesn't, he, he's not thinking right. Verse 44, the betrayer is what he's called now, had given them a sign. They had planned this. You remember that. If you'll look back just a little bit, at verse 10, chapter 14, verse 10. 
Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. Oh, that'll make your belly hurt. They were glad and they promised to give him money and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Can you imagine a little huddle over here? Hey, how can we kill this guy? I've got a good plan. I know where he prays. I can lead y'all there. Follow my lead. How much money will y'all give me? It's just wicked evil. They were glad about that. They had a plan. Judas had given them a sign. Verse 44, here's what he had said. The one I will kiss is the man and then seize him and lead him away under guard. That was the plan. They were gonna walk up, play it cool, although they're not really playing it cool because they got an army and all the weapons and everything, but they're gonna walk up and play it cool and he's gonna act like he normally does. Oh, that's my guy, Jesus. What's up, Jesus? Rabbi, how's it going, man? He's gonna do that. He's gonna give him a kiss, which is the best greeting that there is, better than a handshake, better than a hug. It's a little kiss on the cheek. That was his plan. Verse 45 says that when he came up, he went up to him at once and he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Folks, this, is the, this, this right here is the betrayal. He acted like he liked Jesus, but he didn't. It honestly is the equivalent to you seeing somebody in Walmart you hadn't seen in a while and say, hey, how you doing? Man, I missed you. How are you? Come here, give me, give me a hug. So where you been? How things been? That, that's the passage. Rabbi, which means teacher, leader, master, hey, Jesus, I knew you'd be in here praying, man, and hugged him, kissed him. He did it like he liked him, like he loved him. He did it like he cared about him. He did it like they were in a relationship, but it was all a fake. Judas betrayed Jesus. Do you remember in Philippians chapter 2? where the Bible says that one day every knee will bow to him and that every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you remember that passage? It's Philippians chapter two, verses 10, 11, and 12. One day every knee will bow down to Jesus. And every tongue will confess to him, you are Jesus Christ the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Y'all, that is who this is. That is what he deserves and that is what he will receive one day. Any relationship or interaction or feeling toward him that is not that is evil and wrong. It is sin. It is disloyalty. It is to be not what God made you to be. It is to be in error. It is to miss the mark. It is to be out of place. And it is to put yourself in the dangerous position of being under the judgment of God. And Judas knew that. And Judas is now choosing to go against that. He's betraying Jesus. Verse 46, 
And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. That's all really Mark tells us about that. The other passages tell us more. The passage I read in John tells us it's Peter that did that. The passage I read in John tells us that it's Peter that pulls his sword out, reaches over, tries to basically cut his head off, misses his neck, and cuts his ear off. And Jesus, and the Bible just glosses over it. The Bible says that Jesus picks up his ear and just sticks it right back on. Jesus can do that. John 18 tells us that that guy's name is Malchus. That's all we know. God healed him right there. It's weird that Peter did that, isn't it? And if you're like me, you kind of liked that Peter did that, right? But he was wrong, y'all, way wrong. That's not how Christians act. That's not how we stand for God. It's hard for us to process that at times, isn't it? Seems that our natural position would be to pull out our gun or pull out our sword and fight back is what it seems. That's what Peter does. And Peter had proven, Jesus, I'm gonna go to bat for you. He's often wrong and misled. Remember, it was just two passages ago when Jesus said this very thing. Even though they all fall away, Jesus, I will not. Jesus said, yes, you will. He said emphatically, if I must die for you, Jesus, I will not deny you. That was Peter. But he was wrong. We like him saying that, but he was wrong. He's about to deny Jesus, right? We like him being ready to fight for Jesus. But we just need to understand that's not how Christians fight. That doesn't accomplish the purpose. We don't want to prevent Jesus from being seen as the suffering servant on our behalf. Jesus had to die. Peter was not getting that. Peter did not understand that Jesus had to die. The reason why they're arresting him is because of awfully disobedient betrayer Judas. That's why, and that is really bad, but let me remind you, as he's about to say, this is not only Judas's plan, but this is the ultimate plan of God. For if Jesus is not betrayed and arrested, Jesus cannot get to the cross and die. And Jesus had to die for us in some masterful way. Judas is, in his evil sin, is working out also God's plan to redeem us. Jesus dying on the cross is what we need. And so Peter, while albeit uh, meaning well and wanting to stand up for Jesus, is also very much so in error because he doesn't get that Jesus needs to die. And so the other gospels tell us that Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter. I brought my kids book. Uh, this is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is my favorite one. We've got several, lots of good ones, but this is my favorite one. If you're looking for a good children's Bible, get this one, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. It's outstanding. It doesn't cover the whole Bible. There are only 52 stories in this Bible, but they are really, really good. I want to read this passage to you. Suddenly through the trees, a glitter of starlight flashed off still. Into the quiet garden came whispers, muffled voices, clanking metal, and the sound of boots marching. Jesus stood up. He woke his friends. Now is the time, he said gently. Everything that was written about me, what God has been telling his people all through the long years, it's all coming true. 
And into the night with burning torches and lanterns, with swords and clubs and armor, they came, an army of soldiers. Judas led them straight to Jesus so they could arrest him. Jesus was waiting for them. Peter jumped up, took a sword, and tried to defend Jesus. He sliced off off a guard's ear. Jesus immediately touched the guard and healed him. Peter, he said, this is not the way. Peter didn't realize that no army, no matter how big, could ever arrest Jesus. Not unless Jesus let them. Then Jesus, who had never done anything except love people, was arrested as if he was a criminal. Jesus' friends were afraid, so they ran away and hid in the dark shadows. Verse 47 says, But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Verse 48, Jesus now speaks back to the army and says, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. This is interesting that Jesus says this. It's helpful to us too. Jesus is just highlighting Y'all really, really don't understand God and his ways and God and his man. Jesus is saying, this is God's plan for y'all to do this. And all the army and the torches and lanterns and weapons and clubs and all that, it's not necessary. Y'all act like I'm about to fight back. Come ahead and do your thing. Remember all the passages where he'd been saying, one of you will betray me? Remember they were taking the Lord's Supper and he said, you that's dipping the bread with me, it's gonna be one of you. You remember that? Remember all of those passages that we've seen where he's telling them that somebody's gonna betray me? They just don't get it. It's like Judas thinks, okay, we're gonna go do do this. I'm gonna get that 30 pieces of silver, but man, we're gonna have a fight on our hands. They might fight back and I'm telling you, this guy's got some supernatural power. He might be strong. It's like Judas was thinking like that and he's so wrong. Jesus says, why, why are you treating me like I'm a robber? Some versions say criminal. Some say rebel. See, what was really common was for somebody to get up into the, into the Jewish mix or there in the temple and then, and then be a rebel and, be, and, and go crazy or, or do something. And so they would need this force to get them. But all of those guys were truly rebels or truly criminals. And in a weird turn of events, Jesus is about to be crucified with two more criminals. But they, they didn't get that, that that's not what Jesus is like. And so Jesus says, what's up with all this? If y'all really wanted me, I used to be in the temple every day teaching. It would have been so easy then to just come get me and handcuff me. Why all this? But then he stops and says, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Y'all, God's word has been telling us this all along. In the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, 
And God put the curse on Adam and the curse on Eve and the curse on the serpent. All of that is in Genesis chapter three. God made a promise then that the offspring of Eve would crush the serpent. The Bible explains that to us, that the offspring of Eve crushing Satan is Jesus Christ dying on the cross. The Bible tells us that there would be a redeemer coming, a redeemer. The Bible tells us that there would be a lamb slain for the sins of the world. In Isaiah, we have multiple, multiple passages that are telling us that Christ would be betrayed and Christ would suffer in our place, that Christ would die for our sins, that Christ would take the punishment of God. The Bible, God's word, has been telling us that a redeemer is coming for us. And as soon as Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist reminded us that, hey, there he is. That's the savior of the world. That's the lamb of God that will die for the sins of the world. That's the one that God has sent. And Jesus reminds them, let the scriptures be fulfilled. This is God's plan. Judas is doing what God's plan needed. He, in his own sinful, responsible, disobeying God, hating Jesus, craving money, being greedy, wants that money, and he betrays Christ. Verse 50, if you look there, says, and they all left him and fled. This is one of the lowest points of the whole New Testament. This scene is so, I wasn't expecting that, that everybody fled. Remember, this is in the garden. He'd just been praying there with his twelve. He had just gone a little deeper with Peter, James, and John to pray. He had just said to y'all, why are y'all sleeping? He had just said to them, my hour has become, my, my hour has come. The time is now. My betrayer is here. He had just said that. I preached that to y'all last week. But it was so not what they expected that everybody left. I want to remind you all that the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own ways. Apart from the Holy Spirit's working in your life, there is no natural loyalty to God. There is no faithfulness in you to the glory of God and to the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ apart from Jesus working that in you. For many of us, the reason why we haven't sinned in ways that we haven't sinned is because we have not had the opportunity. But for many of us, we would be worse off if we had more opportunity to do worse things. In this passage, it is one of the very lowest. Jesus, who has shown great power. You know all of the scenes in the Gospel of Mark, right? He calmed the sea. He, he, he fed the 5,000. He's raised the dead. Jesus has done all of that. They know his power. And all of that now is in question. The disciples don't know what to think. And everybody's fled. One of the great preachers from long ago 
made a resolution that said, I've resolved to live for God even if nobody else does. This scene right here reminds us that there aren't many people truly loyal to God. Loyalty to God means that we are for God's glory no matter what that means, no matter who that hurts, no matter who that offends. That means that our relationship to God is a stronger bond than any other relationship in the world. Martin Luther's song that we sang last week says, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Our biggest, dearest, deepest, most loyal relationship is to God because he loves us in a way that nobody else does. He is keeping us in a way that nobody else can. He is keeping us safe and secure in his love that nothing else in this world can. And this passage reminds us that when Jesus didn't look like the Savior, everybody fled. And then the Bible does this weird thing in verse 51 and 52 and really tells us about a little naked boy running through the streets. That's what it says. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Why is this there? I don't know. I studied a lot to try to figure it out. A lot of people say that it could have been Mark. Mark, who's writing this. They say that he was probably in his house, heard that they were coming after Jesus. Maybe he was asleep. It was the middle of the night. Jumps out of bed, grabs a blanket, wraps himself up, goes to see what's happening, sees how bad it is. Since they're arresting Jesus, this guy's following Jesus. They want to grab him. He said, no, I'm not with him. And he runs off. I don't know if it was Mark or not, but I think that's what happened. They wanted to arrest him because he was following Jesus. He said, no, I don't want to have any part with that. The same thing that Peter's going to do here in the next couple of verses. In the next couple of verses, the same thing's going to happen to Peter, the leader of the disciples. He's going to deny Jesus too. But it's just some random bystander happens to be in the garden in the middle of the night with a sheet wrapped around him. They're, they're, they want to arrest him too because he's connected to Jesus. Looks like a little spy or something like that. He drops the sheet and takes off. It's verses like this that really help us think this was not made up by people. This is the word of God. If you were writing a story about Jesus and trying to make something up and try to prove that it's true, you wouldn't wouldn't include super duper random verses like that. You wouldn't. Only the wisdom of God would put that in there. We would probably say, no, no, they'll know we made that up. They'll know some goofball wrote that. This is the actual word of God. And while we don't understand a lot of it, we know this, everybody fled. Even the naked boy with a sheet around him, he fled. So I wanna say three things. How Judas betrayed Jesus. One of his very own betrayed Jesus. 
He played the role in bringing about evil. And that's bad. I want y'all to hear that this is really, really bad. I'm gonna have to preach on it a little bit later, but Judas felt so bad about this. I think y'all know his story. If you don't, I need to tell you. Judas came under such conviction after this happened that he ran away and hung himself. You can't spin ugly things too much to make them pretty. A sinful world, y'all, has sinful issues. And you have to address them. If you want to betray God, there's nothing sweet we can say. If you want to remove your loyalty and be more loyal to other things than God Almighty, your maker, nothing sweet we can say. You know, there are passages in the Bible where the Bible says, treat a person that calls themselves a Christian like they're an unbeliever. Tells us to treat a Christian like they're an unbeliever. You know why it tells us that? Because they're betraying God and not owning up to it. There are passages in the Bible that say, listen to this, that people that are in your fellowship, in your church, if they will not repent of their sins, the Bible says you shouldn't even eat with them. Because they have so betrayed God with their sinful lives. Betraying Jesus, y'all, is ugly, and there is not a sweet answer. You know, when Lily swapped teams on us in our family dodgeball, I still loved her and picked her up and said, that's all right, you made a bad choice, but that's all right. And you just kinda leave it at that, right? I still love her, kiss her, put her to bed, all that. Now, it doesn't end that way with God. It doesn't. This is the most important thing in the world. He is the most important thing in the world. He is God. And you are to love him. And in every way that you don't love him, you are to hit your knees and say, God, help me. Forgive me. Betrayal is ugly. And it is wrong. And there's no sweet way to say it. Second thing I want you to hear is that betraying God is a heart issue. Sometimes it works its way out in you doing bad things, but not always. This is where we must separate ourselves from the good people in the world and the good people in the community. We are not equal to good, kind, humanitarian, non-believers. We're not the same level as them. We see this as more of a heart issue. These are the talks that I'm always giving y'all about the difference between us and like a good teacher and a good coach. There's a huge difference. They're trying to teach, make good decisions, put yourself in a good place in life to be a good person. That's part of what we're teaching way down the line, but that's not the thing. Our message is that when you die and you face the judgment of God, your heart on the inside, not anything on the outside, your heart on the inside needs to be right with God. That is our message. 
I don't care whether you're making good decisions or bad decisions if your heart hates God. Betrayal is a heart issue. You know what? You can't really find anything big and all that bad that Judas did. He kissed Jesus, hugged him. The other guys took him. These are all moral issues. And the world really wants to say that moral's relative. I mean, eh, maybe it's bad, but that's up to them. No, what did he do that's bad? He didn't rape anybody. He hasn't committed adultery. He didn't leave his wife and kids. We don't have any of that. He didn't cuss anybody out. Doesn't seem to be foul-mouthed. What's so bad about Judas, honestly? Think about how y'all talk about people in the world. Think about how you relate to people in the world. What's so bad about people in the world is not their bad deeds or their good deeds. It's their heart does not love God. Church, if, this, if I can teach y'all anything in the whole time I've ever get to be your pastor, hear this. The worst thing about you is that your heart doesn't love God. It doesn't matter if you're a good dad or a bad dad. If you don't love God, you are wrong. Way wrong. Way, way, way wrong. And good dads whose hearts don't love God... Produce kids whose hearts don't love God. Good dads produce kids whose hearts don't love God. Betrayal is a heart issue. Man, there's some bums in the Bible. There's some bad dudes. Saul is killing Christians. Peter is denying Jesus everywhere he goes. He cut off a guy's ear, right? He's doing those sorts of things. David was the king of the people of God, Israel. He should have been at war. Instead, he's peeping over the backyard window. He sees a beautiful woman. He says, I want her. He goes to her. He gets her. He, she gets pregnant. He tries to hide it through her husband. That doesn't work. He goes and kills her husband. He marries her, thinks he can cover it all up. It's horrible. Horrible. There's some bad guys in the Bible. Judas helped them find Jesus and arrest him. Bad, but not the worst thing in the world. Not as bad as some guys we know. What was Judas' problem? His heart. His heart didn't love God most. When your heart loves God, You don't want to sin against him. Judas betrayed Jesus. Betrayal is a heart issue, but lastly, church, and we're done. Jesus never betrays us. I could raise my hand and tell y'all so many instances. I know Judas' betrayal was on a big stage and it led to the crucifixion of Jesus, but I gotta be honest when I'm riding in the, the hearse from the funeral home to a graveside like I get to do often, and the guy driving the hearse is not a believer, and I can tell by the way he's talking, and the Lord's kind of leading me to witness to him, and I don't, I'm betraying Jesus. When my family gets so busy that all we're doing is running from meal to this to that and I'm kind of snappy and short with my kids and frustrated at home and 
Like all dads at home struggle with anger and, and, and when I'm doing with that and we haven't talked about grace or love or kindness or forgiveness or, or the mercy of God, the forgiveness of sins, y'all, I'm betraying Jesus. When our Saturday night activities are more important to us than our Sunday morning activities, we're betraying Jesus. When our money being spent on us is more important than honoring God with it, then we're betraying Jesus. When everybody at work is talking about their beliefs and we don't want to bring ours up, we're betraying Jesus. And there's bigger ways that we betray him, but there's small ones too. But I wanna tell you here today, Jesus never betrays us. Take this passage. He lets them arrest him. Oh, he could have fought back. And if you know the end of the whole story, he's gonna fight back. If you know the end of God's book, he's gonna fight back. But not until every single one of his people is secure in the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. And when he comes back through the sky the next time, he's not coming to deal with sins for he already has this first time. The first coming was to die for us, no fighting. The second coming, he's coming to wage war. Save his people, judge the world, it's over. Heaven or hell. He is faithful to us. He will never betray us. The Bible says that all who come to Christ, he will by no means cast out. If you trust in Jesus, you are safe in God forever. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you're here today, commit to Christ. He will never betray you. And for all the ways that you've betrayed him, he will forgive you if you trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the faithful Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, that even as Judas does what is so ugly and horrible, we have a glimpse of, glimpse of hope in your faithfulness. Father, move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.